people need to see results so quickly. They want to do something for like a month and then see a result from it. So you have to really just change their expectations to just, you're doing this every day. These are the daily non-negotiable tasks and you'll get the results when you get the results. But don't expect to get the results. Remove that expectation, right? Because people will set this goal. They'll be like, I want to do 20 deals. And they get disappointed when they don't do 20 deals. Well, that shouldn't be the goal. The goal should be to complete these daily tasks every single day and never miss on doing the daily tasks, right? You get those wins, you build more confidence, and the results will come. If you just do something for a long time, you never miss on it, you do it every day, it will become unreasonable for you to not see results if you just continue to do that, right? So my whole thing is just changing the perspective from short-term, I need to do this right now, to long-term, this is like a, this is your new lifestyle. This is what you do now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Thank you again for listening to another episode. Jason Muth here from Straight Forward Short-Term Rentals, and we have real estate attorney and broker Rory Gill in the Boston office. Rory, we're going north of the border today. We are talking with a young investor and real estate agent and guy that is blowing up a line. He is super motivated. He's a podcast host himself, which always makes me nervous when we're talking to other podcast hosts. Yeah. And I'm glad to see that, you know, you dressed up for the occasion too today, Jason. It's, yeah, I know. I came clean early on. Like I, I haven't even showered yet today and I apologize to Connor beforehand because I just hit the gym and then I had to talk to someone for a while. But this is Connor Kelly. Uh, this is Connor. He's outside of the Vancouver area. So he's in British Columbia, right? Western Canada. That's right. Yeah. Yes. And Connor is the, uh, the host of the Big Deal Real Estate Podcast because he is a big deal. He is blowing up on social media. I love hearing your story or at least reading it online. So I can't wait to really dig into that with this this conversation. But welcome, Connor. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, boys. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, so you were a plumber. Is that the story? I was a plumber. Yeah. I did that for like nine years, man. Yeah. I need you. Like, you know, our hot water heater's beeping at one of our properties and uh, we can't figure out what's going on. So I'll have to fly you out here. <laughs> man, I think plumbers, like especially out here in Vancouver, like everybody needs plumbers. That's like the the tail of the tape. Like if you go talk to any anybody who owns a plumbing company and you're like, what's your number one issue right now? They're like, I just can't find guys. Yeah. Like, everybody. Right? Rory, that's the case everywhere, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm kind of surprised we're talking to somebody who's gone from being a plumber into um to real estate just because there's such a demand for it. You know, we as a society we've swung so hard in the way of, you know, college kind of low, uh, college professions that, you know, we kind of left this ourselves with a shortage of you know, people who can really do and make things. And those are the people that are in demand right now. And I know, and as any real estate investor knows, anybody who can actually go to a property, fix things, and who knows what they're doing, they're in a really short supply. 100%. You see a lot of real estate investors that started in a trade, you know, carpenter, electrician, plumber, what have you, because they know that element of the business, they know other people. And then they're like, you know, I could fix houses. And, you know, value add is always one of the first things that people that investors look at when you're looking at a property. Um, do you, Connor, do you use your skills like as a, a plumber and knowing people in the trades with your work as a real estate agent now? Very rarely. I mean, it, it does come in handy. Like if, if I'm, you know, showing a property with a client and they're worried about poly B and they're worried about certain plumbing things in the house, you know, I have a rough idea of how much things cost and how easy it is to fix. And I can kind of help like, oh, the word is quell. I don't even know if that's a word, quell my client's concerns, right? 
I mean, a lot of the stuff that I learned in plumbing isn't necessarily transferable to real estate, but what is transferable was the grit and the grind you had to have in that industry that was very transferable over to real estate, right? Like a lot of people who come from the trades do really well as realtors because it's just a dirty grind of a business that requires a lot of mental fortitude, right? Like, you know, I had nights where I'm like working 24 hours straight and it's like three in the morning. I'm in the back of my van, like freaking crying because I can't find this part that I need, right? Like having on the verge of like a mental breakdown, right? So, I mean, like that part of it transfers over to real estate really well, right? I don't know what you're talking about. We see the same shows on HGTV. It looks so simple, right? <laughs> Even those guys probably do like 37 trips to Home Depot. You know what I mean? Like everything, every, anytime you do plumbing in your own house, like even me, I got to go, I got to go to Home Depot like five times, like changing a faucet takes like the whole day, right? When did you make the transition into the real estate sales world? So it would have been August, 2021 for me. Oh, so you, you haven't really, you kind of did it right in the middle of COVID and, you know, during yeah. that kind of crazy market and you built a team. So I didn't build the team. I actually joined the team and I was oh, an agent on that team. And then, then my team lead was always talking about like, he, he eventually wants to transition out of running the team because he's actually running the brokerage. He wants, he's running several businesses. So he's kind of looking for somebody to manage that team and whatever. And then once I put it in the work, I was doing a whole bunch of transactions. Me and him get along really, really well. We talk on the phone like every day. So he was just like, you know, why don't you just manage my team? I'll give you a cut of every deal. And then we went that route. And now I manage a team of about 25 agents. So Rory, Connor has come into it during this crazy cycle that we're in right now. So he's not jaded from many, many years of, you know, just the, the property selling themselves. Not that they do that, but, you know, things are a lot more challenging now. And you jump right into this business when things were challenging. What has it been like as, you know, someone that's been working in this field for the past couple of years, where all you know is the post-COVID real estate world that we're all part of right now? It's been tough, man. Like, I was really, really stressed out. I had a lot of anxiety when I first got licensed because the market basically from September to December 2021 was so hot. It was unbelievably hot. You couldn't even go to an open house. There was like 80 people in this open house, 400 pairs of shoes there. And everything was selling like 400K over ask, no subjects or contingencies in the offer. Just not a place you want to be as a new agent, right? And then, and then the other thing on top of that is like any client you have isn't just going to write 400K over ass, no contingency on the first property that they see. They need to lose three or four times first to, to understand what's happening in the market. And then they kind of get desperate and throw out that offer. So it's just not really a place you wanted to be. So pretty much all my deals were like off market or pre-construction condos. And then it went from that market to being the worst market in Canadian real estate history, basically overnight. And it was tough, man. Like I like, so listen to this. So I got my, I can't remember why I did this, but I got my testosterone tested somewhere around like September, 2021. And it came in at like 6.8, which was like the acceptable range for a male is like seven to 28. And if you're 28 years old, you want to be like above 20. And mine was like 6.8, super low. A year later, I got it tested again and it was well over 20. So I asked the guy, I was like, what, why, what happened? Why was it like that? I guy's losing all this weight and everything. And he's like, oh, you must've been like really, really stressed out. Right. So I didn't, fun fact for you guys, stress does screw you up pretty bad apparently. But yeah, it was, it was really tough, man. Really tough. Yeah. Leader on the team and you're working and helping out other agents as part of the team. 
How do you keep them motivated in the market we have where this tight inventory and every buyer is just kind of tripping over themselves for the same handful of properties? How do you keep an agent motivated and in the business? It's a perspective shift. So everyone has, people need to see results so quickly. They want to do something for like a month and then see a result from it. So you have to really just change their expectation to just, you're doing this every day. These are the daily non-negotiable tasks and you'll get the results when you get the results. But don't expect to get the results. Remove that expectation, right? The goal is no longer, because people will set this goal. They'll be like, I want to do 20 deals. And they get disappointed when they don't do 20 deals. Well, that shouldn't be the goal. The goal should be to complete these daily tasks every single day and never miss on doing the daily tasks, right? You get those wins, you build more confidence, and the results will come. If you just do something for a long time, you never miss on it, you do it every day, it will become unreasonable for you to not see results if you just continue to do that, right? So my whole thing is just changing their perspective from short-term, I need to do this right now, to long-term, this is like a, this is your new lifestyle. This is what you do now, right? Including the stuff you don't want to do. Exactly. I mean, you most of the stuff you don't want to do, pretty much all of it, right? But it starts to get easier. Your standards start getting higher, right? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like as your daily schedule becomes easier, you will start adding stuff into it and your standards will start increasing, right? Because you you don't rise to your goals, you fall to your standards, right? Like if your goal is I want to do 400 deals, but then you're sleeping in every morning, your standard is way down here, right? Like you're not going to get to 400 deals up here if the standard is down here, right? Mm -hmm. And so talk about the influence of social media on your business because, you know, you are... Are you, you're in your 20s, I'm guessing. And yeah. you know, you're a social native. And it's probably something you were doing even before your real estate world because you're really good at it and it comes really naturally to you. So is it intentional as to what you're doing? Is it just part of your DNA? Like how has that factored into your business? I, I appreciate that. But actually, like oddly enough, I, I did not use social media before I, I came into real estate. And even on my personal page, my most recent post was like two years prior to getting my real estate license. Like I didn't post anything on my social media, but I think I had consumed a lot of content from other people. So I kind of knew what people like to watch. Like I watched a lot of Graham Stefan and Meet Kevin and I listened to the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast. And I just knew what people like to consume. And nobody was really talking about like nobody was taking like a bigger pockets real estate approach to Canadian real estate content. Because on that podcast, they talk about numbers and cash flow and vacancy rates and all this stuff. In Canada, people are literally just like, just buy a condo and hold it for five years. Like that's like all the freaking advice you'll ever find on like Canadian real estate investing. So I wanted to take that approach and bring it over to this market. And then I just started making content on that. And then it blew up really fast because like there's just not a lot of it in Canada at all. Right. Your book of business is largely those in the investment community. For the most part, that's, that's, I'd say my kind of my avatar client. Yeah. We spoke with, uh, an, someone a number of months ago, Jennifer Beatles, and she's out of Washington, I believe. Um, but she runs investor agent and she trains agents as to how to work with investors. One of the reasons why is probably the same reason you do it is that these are people that are buying consistently through whatever interest rates, you know, every single year, multiple times a year, instead of every five to seven years, like a residential customer might do. Are those some of the reasons why you identified investors as good clients or what are some of the things that are a good reason why to work with them? 
I was just passionate about investing. I owned two investment properties before I ever got licensed. It's something that I was super passionate about. But also, I think, so, like, I didn't know this when I, st- I didn't even know I was going to work with investors. I was just putting out the content that I wanted to see, right? But one thing that I found later on is that investors are actually a lot easier to work with. They're a lot less scared. They've done it before. If you find them the deal and it makes sense, they buy it, right? Whereas a lot of times, if you're working with just like a normal residential customer or whatever, sometimes everything can be perfect. You find them everything. The timing's great, whatever. They still don't pull the trigger on it, right? So with investors, they're going to pull the trigger on it, right? They know what that what a good deal looks like. They know how often they, that they come up and they're just easier to work with too, right? But I didn't know that going into it. But now that's kind of why I've just stayed in that niche. Like I have customers or clients that have bought like, you know, three properties this year, right? Yep. No, I mean, I've always found it's very refreshing to deal with rational objections to a particular property than the kind of the irrational ones that maybe a first time primary residence home buyer is going to be looking at. You know, you can always with a, you know, first time home buyer or home buyer, the question always in the back of their mind is, you know, should I be buying? Should I do this? Whereas an investor, the question is, you know, how should I be doing this? You know, what exactly should I be doing? Do you don't really have to convince them to get in the game in the first place? That's the thing, right? It's like, I don't have to, I don't actually have to convince you to buy. Your mind is already made up on buying. I just need to find the right property for you, basically, for the most part, mm-hmm. right? I honestly, I hate, I don't like convincing people to buy, right? Like, I want you to come to that conclusion yourself, right? Like, if you ask me my opinion on what I think about the market, I'm going to give you my honest opinion on it. But like, I don't want to have to try to convince somebody to buy and then something goes wrong and then they're mad at me, right? Mm hmm. Can you share some of your advice that you give other agents, whether you're working with them or not, about how to use social media to grow your business? Because you've done that pretty well. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, I could talk about this a lot. Like the biggest thing is just being consistent, right? People do not put out the level of volume required to start the feedback loop to actually troubleshoot what they're doing and fix it, right? Like people will put out two videos a week for two weeks and and be like, I'm not viral or famous yet. Screw this. Let's go try door knocking again. Right. Like I put out like 80 videos a week, right. I'm constantly changing my content, right. It didn't start like that. I just put out two videos a day. So it would have been like 15 videos a week. And then you slowly troubleshoot stuff and you change it and you upgrade it, you know, 1% a day, be better 1% a day or whatever. But it just starts with being consistent. Post every single day, never miss. That's a non-negotiable now in your daily schedule, right? A lot of people start making excuses like, oh, I can't think of anything to post today, so I won't post. Or, oh, I woke up late. Or, oh, I need to do this. Or, I just got so busy. Dude, it takes me like freaking 30 seconds to post a video. How are you so busy that you can't post a video? Like, it's just a crap excuse, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's tons of different types of content to make too. A lot of what I preach is if you don't know something, don't try talking about it, right? Like, I talk about the economy, investing, blah, blah, but you don't have to do that, right? Like, you can talk about your neighborhood. You can shoot property tour videos. There's so many things you could talk about. You don't have to force yourself to talk about the things you don't know about because there's going to be a lot of followers out there that know about it a lot more than you do. And they're going to, they're going to fact check you on that and call you out on it. And you're just going to look stupid. Right. So just talk about the stuff, you know, right? Like if you grew up in your neighborhood, you have the authority to talk about your neighborhood because you know it a lot better than most people. You grew up there. Right. So talk about your neighborhood, like, like neighborhood tour videos work really, really well. Just doing like a vlog tour of a certain neighborhood because you're going to get people who are moving there from wherever who want to know about that neighborhood, right? And then, of course, property tour videos are probably the best right now. 
probably the mm-hmm. best. And, you know, people can get hung up on how do you do it? You know, oh, I don't have a camera, I don't have a videographer, I don't know what to say, whatever. But, you know, the advice that I, I would give and have subscribed to is just turn the freaking camera on on your phone, right? Literally turn your phone around if you need to, flip it to the back camera, you know, use the reels function on Instagram. You know, TikTok makes it super easy for you to share videos that you can make native in the app. You don't have to have a videographer that you have on staff to have good videos. A lot of this stuff should be raw. It should be, you know, content that is just happening right here and now because people want to see that, you know, what's going on in your day. Like, how do you approach certain subjects? If you're sitting at your desk and something came up, you know, a situation just came up that you think that followers might want to hear of, hang the phone up when you're done, go look at your camera, record a video and post it. It's really simple, right? Exactly. And even like for the, the first year that I made content, it was, I didn't have an editor. I didn't have audio. I didn't have nothing. Everything was super raw. And honestly, my raw videos still do a lot better than the edited videos. I just use the edited videos for Instagram, but my raw ones do because it almost looks like with the edit, edited videos, you kind of blend in with a lot of the other people shooting edited content these days. Mm-hmm. If you shoot something completely raw, it's almost pattern disruption, right? It almost does better than the edited videos these days, right? Mm-hmm. When you mean raw, do you, do you mean just like literally turn the camera on and go? Exactly. Yeah. No audio, no lighting, nothing. I mean, I think sometimes when people see edited videos, there's a different expectation that they have about what this is. So this, instead of this being kind of a helpful thought that you had today, this is your packaged up thesis on the market and your, your formal presentation. So they're going to judge it at a different standard. Whereas if you can allow yourself to be imperfect, in some ways, it's more, more human, more authentic when you reach out to them. Um, you know, I don't do as much in the way of videos for as social media for you, but I do a lot of videos um, on email and kind of one-to-ones to kind of stand out in my communications directly with people. And I know that the less perfect it is, the more opens it gets, the more compliments it gets, the more uh, engagement that I get back. You're 100% right. And like, even even for me, like when I shoot a video, if I screw up in my speech, if I stutter, if I say something wrong, I just keep going. Like I don't cut it off there. And uh, I think people respect that a little bit more. Like you said, it kind of humanizes you to the audience, Mm -hmm. right? I think Rory forgets sometimes he is a podcast host on video. Uh, So yes, you are on video a lot, Rory. You're just not the one posting it. It's your executive producer posting all this stuff, right? I'll also confess though, if I had to go back and kind of look at all these videos over and over again, I would probably do it less. That's where you can start, where I have a tendency to to feel self-conscious. So I'm happy to package it up, make sure my audio is fine, and then just kind of let it be. Otherwise, I would spend too much time trying to correct myself and make it perfect, which is not the goal. Right. Looks like you're looking over the camera. Like, that. see, this is like not perfect, right? Like, look a little lower, like, but that's fine. It's raw, right? A lot of traffic out the window. That's <laughs> Connor, let's talk about the Big Deal podcast uh, because, you know, this is another great way to build credibility, like doing this podcasting. I, I took a look on iTunes Looks like you have about 50-something episodes live. You're on video. You have great snippets you guys put out. It looks like you're recording live a lot, right? Like you're actually in the studio with your guests? Yeah. Is that all the episodes that way? All the episodes have been that way. Uh, I mean, we, we we probably should incorporated, incorporate some Zoom episodes for sure, but I definitely like the in-person feel and it makes for a really good video file. Like when you look at the video format, I feel like it's a lot more engaging and especially for the short clips as well, right? Honestly, we just started that podcast just to have more content that we don't actually need to think about, just so we can like pay an editor some money to go through the podcast, clip them down, throw subtitles on them. 
But what ended up happening was one week, we didn't post an episode for whatever reason. We just got busy. And then we each had like five messages from people being like, hey, is uh, the episode coming out today? And blah, blah, blah. And we're just like, oh, like people actually listen to this podcast. Like we should, we should probably keep putting out some episodes if that's the case. But we didn't even like start the podcast to actually have people listen to the podcast. We just started so we had more content to clip down. And then it actually gained an audience. So we've been pretty consistent with it for about 15 months now, I want to say. Uh, yeah. Podcast is very long term. Like you guys probably know, like even like Alex Hermosi's podcast took like six years to get off the ground, right? It's a very long term thing. Yeah. If you can get to that level, then, you know, we're going to cherish this conversation and, you know, maybe sell it as an NFT or something. But we, uh, <laughs> we, I don't know if we're going to get up to the Hormozy scale. However, I agree. I mean, this is going to be episode 120 something. You know, we've been doing this consistently for a number of years. Um, I think people appreciate when podcasters take it seriously and have good guests on like this, have a good conversation. It's professional. You know, the scheduling is professional. The clips afterward are professional. You know, we're going to take clips from this episode and, you know, we'll, uh, I don't think we do 80 videos per week, but I've been upping the number that we do. And many of them will be from episodes like this. So you'll start seeing your face on our feed a little bit more, Connor. That's what you do. I mean, podcasts build credibility up. We don't get a number of emails if we don't put an episode out because actually I think we do put one out every single week. But what we do get is we get people, Rory and I all the time get people that tell us that they they heard the podcast, they heard this episode, they listened to this. You know, did the call right before this was with my financial guy. He's like, oh, I just was listening to the episode you released today. I'm like, oh, you were? <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty cool, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, so at first I was like, I don't even know who's listening to this thing. And then next thing you know, people are listening to this thing. And next thing you know, people are emailing you wanting to be on the podcast. Uh, and I'm sure that you get that all the time. Do you do you book the guests yourself or do you have a team that books them? I actually book them myself. Yeah, you do. Um, yeah, I do. It's definitely difficult. It takes a lot of time. But um, but yeah, no, it's it's been good. It's been good, I wouldn't say. Yeah. Yeah, we, you know, a little inside baseball for us. Like we, we book all the podcast guests ourselves too. I, I'm, I'm the one in charge of all that communication. So, um, you know, sometimes we'll hear from people, sometimes we'll reach out to people. But what I love, and I've said this, we, I think Rory and I have more, I don't know, we have, I have one or two deep podcast conversations every week these days from people that are asking about this. You probably do as well because uh, yeah. they know that we're doing stuff like this. And, you know, the questions are everything from how do I get started? How do I find guests? What do I talk about? Whatever. Um, and you know, there's a lot of information out there that people can, there's resources out there as to how you could find guests as well. Uh, but once you start building up an audience and building up a library of content, the guests will come to you. They just will. And then you can kind of pick and choose who you want to have on this podcast, on your podcast as well. But booking the guests gives a bit of a personal relationship that you have with the guest. And, you know, we've probably talked to at this point over a hundred different people that have been on this podcast who I feel like I can email or direct message or text and I'd get a response back relatively quickly, you know, and those people probably would not have been in my network had they not appeared on the podcast and, and that we value tremendously. Yeah, exactly. It's great for networking. And then again, you're just, you're building a platform, you're building an audience and whenever you build a, an audience or some type of platform like this. You can obviously leverage that to to do other things, and and it starts to snowball on itself, right? Because once you you have the the eyeballs and you have the platform, it makes it easier to get more influential guests. You get more influential guests that grow the eyeballs and the platform, which allows you to get even more influential guests, and it just starts snowballing onto itself. But it takes a lot of time to get to that point, of course, right? 
It absolutely does. And these are no secrets. It's not like, you know, we're going to keep this in our back pocket and hope other people don't start podcasts. If you're listening to this and you want to start one, start one, like do it. The challenge is keeping it going, right? Yeah. Like once you get past that eighth and 10th episode, then maybe it's kind of that muscle memory that you know how to do every day. But a lot of people, you said it, you know, they'll, they'll do something for a month and they won't see immediate results and they'll say, is this even worth doing? So that's where a lot of podcasts kind of trail off. And there's, there's a, a long, long list of uh, podcasts that have, uh, that are no longer because the host just gave up on them for whatever reason. Maybe they moved on, life changed, you know, they got a different job, whatever. And that's fine. No, no fault to them. But I think one of the good things about the consistency of what you're doing and what we're doing with these podcasts is that it does pay dividends over time. It just takes time for those dividends to kick in. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's all about creating leverage in your business, right? Like the problem with outbound prospecting for any business is it doesn't it gets you business today. And of course, if you do your job really well, you'll get referrals and you create leverage that way. But what's awesome about social media content, podcasts, whatever, you put a video out, it's there forever. If the video is done well, it'll probably get views forever. And that creates that leverage within your business, right? Like I have YouTube videos that I put out a year ago that the analytics are still like the views are still just going up in a straight line, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, that's probably a video that's going to be prospecting for me for the rest of my career, right? It's creating leverage in my business. Absolutely. Connor, what are you working on these days? Like what's the next evolution of how you're going to keep your business growing in the same trajectory? So I've, I'm always improving my content. I'm always trying to up the volume one way or another. Um, I just want to, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing and just be consistent at it. Never miss. I've started now another YouTube channel to help realtors. I've launched a coaching program on the side where I help realtors with social media, staying consistent, changing their perspective, all that stuff. Um, but my main gig right now is just selling more homes. And then in the long run, I kind of want to switch over to an influencer coaching model where I kind of make my money online that way. But in the meantime, I'm really focused on just selling as many homes as I can. We'll get to our final questions in a bit. I know Rory has a couple of final comments too, but you know, tell us what's happening in the Canadian real estate market these days. It's a very general question because it's a big country. Mm. You know, the way the U.S. looks at it is like, oh, what's happening in the in the Canadian market? And you know, it's a whole country. But what are you seeing in your backyard? I mean, like with interest rates and competition, and you know, sellers not putting their homes on the market. Like, are you seeing kind of the same patterns we're seeing here in the U.S.? Yes. Yeah. And and just like. You know, you guys have Texas over there. We have our Canadian Texas, that's Alberta, right? And, you know, any market that's affordable right now is still hot. Like Calgary has been on a rip. Calgary is basically, it's the uh, the capital of Alberta, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it's been on a rip for, you know, two years now. It's just been going up in a straight line. And uh, because it's super affordable there. So affordable markets are still very doing very well. The more expensive, you know, uh, where the pricing is in the higher echelon, like Vancouver and Toronto, I've just been getting, uh, they were getting hammered. Uh, you know, now Vancouver has been pretty resilient, but we're starting to see inventory catch up and sales starting to drop off. So real estate markets typically trend one way until they don't anymore. Uh, I think, you know, we're going to see some pain in the detached market. Prices come down a little bit more. Uh, condos and townhomes will probably remain pretty strong because as interest rates stay this high, the buyer pool is just getting forced into lower priced homes. And that's going to be your condos and townhomes. People need to move, right? So I think those markets are going to stay pretty strong. It's really hard to say what's going to happen. But what I, what, I, what I will say is this, 
the supply and demand metrics here grossly favor higher prices. We right now are building about 200,000 homes a year, and we're supposedly bringing in or adding 1.2 million people to our population right now. That's not the actual number because some of them already live here and they're just getting their citizenship. But I think the actual number is like six or 700,000 people moving here. On average, we have 2.2 people living in a house. So if you build 200,000, that gives us, you know, 440,000 people housed. And we're still left with, you know, basically 300,000 people without a house every year right now. So supply and demand heavily favors prices continuing to go up right now. It's just like, I heard this quote, it's like Vancouver real estate is basically like trying to hold, you know, a beach ball underwater. You can only do it for so long and then it aggressively pops back up, right? So, I mean, if you look at like uh, real estate markets over the last 20 years, you'll see that Canada has far outperformed basically everywhere else in the world. And that's basically because of this. We're not building enough homes and we're bringing in so many people and that continues to be the story going forward. So I probably wouldn't bet against it. Rory, that sounds similar uh, in that we're not building enough homes here in the United States either for you know the the population trends of people who are actually going into home buying ages. Nope, that's a continental problem. You know, it's shaped by a lot of things, but you know we're talking about it on a continental scale. But a lot of that is the different incentives on a local basis. You have a lot of localities that are making it difficult to add the housing that we really need. You know, particularly in some of the denser cities. Yeah, definitely. Last time we talked to some folks from Canada, it was uh, Jazz Tekar and Laura Stewart out of Toronto. And I think it was just when there were some moratoriums getting put in place with foreign ownership in Canada. Is that still is that still a law? Yeah, they banned foreign buyers until 2025, I believe. I mean, there's probably a way around it somehow if you really, really wanted to buy real estate here through corporations and whatever and throwing other people on title and that this and that. But I would say it's probably deterred some foreign buyers for sure. I just don't think that foreign buyers are largely responsible to the prices that have happened here, like the price increase that have happened here. I think the government just always needs to find some type of boogeyman to like blame it on somebody else for the fact that they've spent so much money and caused all this inflation. And and that's largely the reason why prices have gone up, right? So they just find somebody to blame and not that it isn't a factor in prices going up. I just don't think that it's that big of a factor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got the same boogeyman here. Yeah, I guess we get to be the boogeyman in this situation. That goes to your analogy of just, just one of one of the method of holding the beach ball underwater until it really has to, to pop back up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, they did the same thing in 2016. They added all these taxes and they added a, something called a stress. So here in Canada, if you want to get a mortgage at 6%, the bank will actually test you as if you're getting a mortgage at 8%. So they added that in at in 2017, I believe. But everything they do is just kind of kicking the can further down the road, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess it, the, the way to do that in the US is just to have a higher requirement with your debt to income, you know, but it would be a very similar, similar thing here if they have stronger lending requirements, which in fact they have here now. There's no easy way around it, is there? You know, in, in the world we're living in now, and and you've jumped into a, a difficult profession, but you're doing it really well uh, by being smart with what you're posting on social media and building credibility up, talking to people like us and inviting people on your podcast that, you know, are really helping build you up as someone that people want to work with. So, you know, I would just keep on, keep it on and, and being that Agent Kelly, right? <laughs> that's your, uh, that's your, your handle. 
why don't we get to the final couple questions that we ask all of our guests, Connor, as just a way to wrap up the conversation, learn more about you, and then we'll have you tell everyone where they can get a hold of you. We'll put all the stuff in the show notes as well. This first question is, if you could get on stage for a half an hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation, what would that be? Oh, social media, hands down, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Expert. You can go on for a half an hour and, you know, not even blink, I'm sure. Definitely. Yeah. No, that's definitely my most confident subject, I would say, for sure. Second question. Tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. Okay. So I heard a quote. I'm actually sober. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do anything. I don't really have any vices. I'll smoke a cigar every once in a while. But uh, um, I was... so. On YouTube, there's like these motivational videos. I don't, I don't watch these videos, right? But it'll be like quotes on the screen with some like epic music happening, right? And I don't watch these videos, but one night for whatever, one popped up on my feed and it was Jordan Peterson. And, and he said, stop. He said something along the lines of like, imagine where you would be if you just stopped doing, can I swear on here? Mm-hmm. Go for it. Yeah. Imagine where you would be if you just stopped doing all of the stupid shit you know you shouldn't be doing. And after I heard that quote, I started thinking about it. I was like, I'm doing a lot of stupid shit I know I shouldn't be doing right now. Like subconsciously, I know I shouldn't be doing that. At that point, this was like May 2020, I cut everything out. Like I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking, I stopped doing everything. And my life literally just took off like a rocket from that point onward. So that was a, a big turning point for me, for sure. Wow. Wow. And that dovetailed into your real estate career too. That's around the same time. Exactly. And that's, that's what I teach now is like, everybody has good habits. They just let the bad ones get in the way, right? Everyone can go to the gym consistently until they get smashed on the weekend. You miss three days in a row in the house. The cards just falls down after that point, right? So it's a lot of it is just people, it's just a removal process. Remove all of the stuff that's distracting or getting the way, getting in the way from you doing what you need to do, right? Can you tell I just let you get those sound bites out so I can get those as little clips for the uh, the episode afterward? <laughs> yeah. It's a little, little thing I learned not to step on people as they're making like a good point that's going to be really good to promote afterward. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. You know, we all have our own vices and sometimes they get in the way of, of, of us hitting our goals. The fact that you identified that early on in your life and you're making a change uh, for that to no longer be part of what you do every day and you've seen a immediate change with your life you know that is a lesson that we could all take definitely final question tell us something you're listening to or watching or reading these days anything in the world i listened to alex hermosi's podcast and i also like i don't know if you guys know, know who bradley is but i listen to his podcast too he's kind of a funny guy he's almost like he's kind of like dad like dad humor a little bit but he makes me laugh he's a funny guy so I listen to like Bradley's podcast, Alex Ramosi's podcast, not reading anything at the moment. Yeah, that's what I'd say. There we go. Yeah. Dad humor is awesome. Like what, do you have kids or no? Not yet? Not yet. No. Yeah. yeah. Once you have it, then you can really amp up the dad jokes and you know, <laughs> yeah. you could own them proudly like we do. Hey, listen, Connor, this has been a great conversation. I love hearing about your business, how you've grown things so quickly using social media as a great tool, learning about the Canadian real estate market. If people want to learn more about you, obviously they could download the Big Deal podcast and they could follow you on Instagram uh, using that handle. But what are some other ways that people can get a hold of you? Yeah, just follow me on everything TikTok, Instagram, YouTube at that agent Kelly. Feel free to shoot me a DM, text me. My number's on there too. Whatever way you want to get in contact, more than happy to have a, have a conversation if you if you have some questions you want answered. 
Uh, texting too. Yeah. I mean, you just get ready. You might get a lot of messages. Rory, where can people get a hold of you? Um, if you just go to RoryGill.com, you'll see all the different ways that I can help you out and you can get in touch with me. Awesome. We'll link all that up in the show notes. Uh, and that's another great episode. Thank you, Connor. Thank you for the conversation. You know, again, it's very enlightening to hear your perspective on how things are going uh, in your neck of the world, your neck of the world, and in how you're operating your business. I love talking about social media on this podcast. It is something that a lot of people do. Not many people do well. But, you know, the, the lesson there is just get in the game. You know, just, you know, be yourself. Put yourself out there. Be vulnerable. And people will respect that, in my opinion. 100%. And the pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having yeah. me on, bro. We'll, we'll have to have you back sometime. And if you've enjoyed this episode, thank you for listening. Uh, we love five-star reviews. We love your comments. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me, Jason, at nexthometitletown.com, and we will do our best to get you scheduled. On behalf of Rory and Connor, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.